Beth, hello. Hello, David. How are you? I am very well, and I'm all the better for recording uh, the first episode of season two of our Something to Declare podcast. So welcome to all our Something to Declare listeners as well. It's great to have you uh, with us. Beth, how's life? It's, it's good. Um, yeah, it's busy. You start off a new term. Um, it feels quite January-ish, doesn't it, this January? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think with COVID regs constantly doing their thing in the background, uh, we won't mention the government because otherwise we'll be on politics for a long time. Uh, <laughs> we've uh, I've moved my Friday chapel for college on to Zoom. And um, so that's tonight, um, my first one. Um, so we're going to ignore the fact that I am terrible with technology for a moment. And <laughs> so that'll be its own experience. <laughs> but um, I am quite excited for the fact that the, the Zoom, Zoom Chapel card, you know, that all our lineup of, of who we've got coming to preach for us this term looks surprisingly similar to um, our podcast guests over the last <laughs> couple of years. <laughs> Uh, it's absolutely not a coincidence <laughs> brilliant we love that and including um i think you've got julie pennington russell from from dc doing a, a week uh-huh. and if folks have missed it we did an advent special i was about to say just before christmas but, you know but that's when advent is so it's a bit superfluous <laughs> as a statement um but if you've missed that do go back on the the podcast feed and listen because it it just there's there's gold in almost every sentence uh, that Julie offered as part of that. Um, so yeah, I mean, Zoom Chapel that that sounds. Um, we we did a lot of stuff on YouTube, did a lot of stuff on Facebook during the pandemic. I did one service on Zoom, and vowed never to do it ever again. Don't tell me that. <laughs> but then, but then, lots lots of my friends have done everything on Zoom all the way through, and it's been by far the best platform for them. So just, um, I, I look forward to hearing how it's gone. I think. Um, I think well, we, our folks were just a bit too, I want to have a chat in the middle of the service. Oh, there's Edna's cat. How exciting or whatever it was. And you just think, oh, I can't cope with this. So uh, <laughs> I think it, you lose the polish, um, but you gain the community. Um, yes. yes. So I, I think it's it's which bits are you prioritizing? Um, yeah. And yeah. Um, well, we'll see if I go on to recorded YouTube ch- services next week. <laughs> you'll know we'll, we'll know what's happened. Yeah. <laughs> but sure the good be thing, I think the great joy of um, digital life, isn't it, is that we get um, the the gift of having kind of like people from all around the world. And I, I think yeah. it's really exciting that, you know, you can do that you know you know ecologically and without the time and the you know that kind of the level of commitment is much smaller because people just have to turn their computer on rather than catch a plane and so it's really exciting to make the world that little bit smaller sometimes and have that international flavor so um so that's quite exciting I'm pleased about that yeah I think it's made all sorts of things possible so we've had folks from all over the world and all over the country do bits and pieces for us over the last couple of years, um, precisely for that reason. We've also found uh, in, in South End here, we did a, a service all together um, using this, but again, we didn't have to work out, well, where are we going to all meet? And we were able to use the technology to do something a bit different and uh, it worked really well. And we're going to do it again, actually. So some of the experiments will fall by the wayside but, and we'll never do them again. And other experiments actually have opened up new opportunities for us. So I'm quite mm. enjoying all of that, really. It'll be really interesting to see in five years' time, won't it? What bits yeah. are kept? Yeah, absolutely. So, David, who have we got today? Well, 
I'm very excited uh, today because we have none other than the Reverend Barbara Carpenter uh, on the podcast today. And Barbara is quite simply one of the kindest people I know, and I'd be chuffed if she was my minister. Um, but I first met Barbara at my very first Baptist Union Council meeting many years ago, uh, and it was Barbara's first one as well. And I walked around not really knowing anybody, nobody particularly making an effort to say hello. Um, it was it felt very cold and very unfriendly. Um, and then I sat on a table where there was just a random chair left available to me. And I happened to sit next to this lady I'd never met before called Barbara, who was feeling very similarly uh, to me. And it was her first one as well. And we kind of, you know, been sort of friends ever since. Uh, so, yeah, really pleased to have Barbara on the podcast today. So let's hear what she had to say. Well, Barbara, hello and welcome to Something to Declare. Morning, David. Lovely to hear from you. Lovely to be with you. Great. We're really pleased to have you um, on the podcast. Um, so Barbara, there's so many things I want to talk to you about and ask you about uh, this morning. Um, but I guess start with what you're doing uh, at the moment. So a variety of chaplaincy roles in the NHS. Yes. Uh, an interesting time to be Absolutely. doing that. Yep. Um, tell us a bit about what you're doing and, and how that's been. Yep. Um, yeah, I work mainly um, in the uh, area of sort of the mental health trust. Partly, uh, most of my time is spent with um, DPT, who are the mental health trust in Devon, and uh, I spend one day a week in North Devon visiting uh, the the wards up at the hospital there in Barnstable. I spend now one and a half days a week uh, on the wards in. Wanford House in Exeter, and then two and a half days a week, I'm working for the Devon Wellbeing Hub. So uh, the Wellbeing Hubs were set up uh, last year by NHS England. There are, I think it's 40 of them around the country uh, to support staff, uh, NHS staff, social care staff, and in Devon, it's the police as well. Um, uh, sort of access for people who are really struggling with, with anything in life. It was set up during, um, obviously during the pandemic, but not purely as a response to the pandemic although obviously people recognize that during that there there was going to be a need for for some more support for staff so yeah so that's pretty much what i'm doing uh, fascinating work um but i'm it always feels wrong to say i'm enjoying it because when i'm working with people who are sort of mentally unwell it, it feels feels kind of wrong to say that i'm enjoying it but you know the, the work is the work is good and most days I come home feeling as though you know I've been in the right place at the right time there are days when I wonder what I'm doing and what it's all about but but most of the mm. time it, it feels like it's the right thing and then just sort of generally one day a month now I'm working um, in an acute hospital as a chaplain uh, in Somerset so yeah so it's a fairly mixed bag <laughs> yeah and how does it work for you having that portfolio of, of different things I guess you get the variety and ex, of, of experiences in, in the positive sense but I'm imagining that comes with challenges as well yeah it does I just have to remember what day of the week it is um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> when I first started this before Christmas it was a bit sort of because it was very new started doing the whole thing um it was it was a bit more confusing but I have now sort of from January onwards kind of blocked it so that you know Monday it's it's in Exeter 
you know Thursday it's in North Devon so those kind so just as long as I'm knowing what day it is I mean last week threw me completely because obviously I was off on the bank holiday Monday so you know it yeah, was just, yeah but but knowing what day of the week it is helps um mm. I'm finding the variety more of a blessing than a curse at the moment so yeah that's good but yeah <laughs> and before doing what you're currently doing um you were doing chaplaincy work of a different kind at Lee Abbey and I'd love to ask you a bit about that um and I'm fascinated by the whole living in community element to it um I mean how did you find that was that quite a, an easy transition a difficult transition I'm, yeah. and I guess I'm also interested because it it's not the kind of transition you can just make for like it, it affected your family like you, you know it's not just you I mean ha, ha, tell me a bit about that yeah yeah it was it was an interesting it was an interesting thing to to contemplate um at some levels it had been something that had fascinated me for years in that um for many years I had a sort of a a fairly close relationship with a community of Franciscan sisters um, and so understood a little bit about community life from them and then also had some dealings with another community the Pilsden community in Dorset and so again saw a little bit of a different kind of community life and we'd visited Lee Abbey as a church or, you know church weekends we'd been up there for, for some of those so again I'd seen a little bit of that uh, Bill and I are associate members of the Iona community so again a little bit of sort of community understanding from that so kind of very much feeling that the community living and and working and worshiping was a good thing but wasn't necessarily sure that it was for me i'm i'm actually an introvert and the thought of um living with a group of other people for the whole time uh was a bit kind of really um are you sure this is what you're calling me to god is, is bill's Bill's idea of heaven I mean Bill loves people he loves being around people the thought of living with a community and having guests and all of that was just uh, music to his ears but for me it was a little bit more of a of a challenge and I really had to be sure that that was what God was calling me to um because yeah <laughs> because otherwise it could have been a nightmare yeah. but it really wasn't actually it was it was um it was a joy it was hard work uh, really hard work um but it was great Mm. Yeah. and I guess if you're going to do something like that there's not many finer places to do it in terms of geography I mean it's just yeah. stunning isn't it yeah, the, lo um, the location is amazing and and it was just a joy I mean I've lived a fairly sort of um a fairly sort of um suburban life in a way and I'm not a great traveler I'm not a fan of flying so don't tend to travel a lot so to be part of an international community and experience that international dimension of community living uh, was just great. So, so some of the things we do around Christmas, particularly and Easter, um, having some of those different traditions and some understanding of how people around the world celebrate mm. and kind of put some of that into our community life was just great. You know, we, we would have uh, effectively what were sort of home groups once a week. Uh, we used to call them community groups and so they would be a mixture of people and you know to study the bible with people from um korea and um, um bulgaria and germany and brazil uh you know just to be sat together in a room looking at, at the bible together and working out you know what it says to us and how we live together it was just fabulous yeah um loved it yeah i as you say i 
totally get that it's a good thing <laughs> but living it is something else I, I yeah. as you say without that sense of calling I wonder how uh... yes yeah I mean it, it God did have to really convict me that that was where he was calling me to and mm. give me the grace during the time there to to live it mm. and I found myself really loving people it was just I remember saying to somebody one day sat, sat at a meal time um you know just talking about about the sense of love that that I received but also the sense of love I felt for the people there because mm. because yeah they you know there were days when people irritated me and I really wanted to go and scream somewhere or lie down in a darkened room but just that sense of of love and companionship was yeah can only have come from God really yeah, yeah. um yeah. and before Lee Abbey um you were in local church ministry mm -hmm. two two churches um mm -hmm not a million miles away from the beautiful North Devon coast um, in, in Somerset. And I wonder um, about that. I'm, I'm I was thinking about that and just, they were both relatively rural in yes. their context. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there are some very specific challenges and sort of uh, cultural things around rural ministry, which people who don't experience it, wouldn't necessarily sort of get but it is quite distinct I think is, is would you say that's the case yeah. yeah I would I would I mean I I grew up in a in a large town which is now a city and um then moved to another large town so my feeling had been when God was calling me into ministry was that that was the kind of environment in which I was going to be ministering that I would be either in a city somewhere or in a town or somewhere sort of suburban I I'd never lived in the country didn't really sort of understand too much about country life so so the call to to my first church which was when I was a minister in training was really a bit of a surprise to me um and we'd, we'd done at college, we'd done some um, work on sort of urban and rural theology and urban and rural church. And it was quite interesting, sort of fellow students would say, oh, you know, definitely the city is where it's at. But, but you know, listening to these guys who were talking about the rural church, I thought, no, actually, I think, you know, because I was already living and ministering at rural church, I thought, no, there's, there is so much need and so much um that we tend to have those of us who are city dwellers urban dwellers tend to have this romantic image of the countryside as a lovely place to visit and everybody gets on and all that kind of thing um but there are huge amounts of, of sort of poverty and and the issues that you see in the city are just in some ways just the same you know um one of the things when when we came to to Bradnich, which was my first church was about the drug scene here you know um and people yeah dealing and using and all of that kind of thing so not that I personally had a huge amount of, uh, of of engagement with with folks who were engaged in that but but just you know those things that that people wouldn't necessarily think are part of the countryside are um the whole the whole sort of um accommodation you know living how do people young people particularly find houses wages tend to be quite low there's not necessarily a lot of work unless you've got transport you can you know you can live in a village and and travel to Exeter or Taunton or London you know we've got people here who would commute to London for work um that's fine if you've got the means mm. to, to access that but if you haven't um there's not a lot of a lot a lot of work and then how do you afford a house 
um, the whole sort of second home thing, holiday rental thing, all of that uh, is part of part of life. And then, you know, certainly both the churches that where I've been minister, they've been quite small. So it's it's those, you know, how do you do church life together? How do you um, finding people who are willing to be deacons, finding people who are willing to or, or be particularly church treasurer? That, mm. That's been some of the, the bigger questions is somebody with that understanding of finance who's who's still able to do all the things that need doing whatever size of church you are. Um, so those those things, youth work, that's a real a real challenge. Um, yeah. Yes, there are there are definite definite challenges mm. yeah, that are kind of unique uh, to to rural churches. I think. Yeah. I always wonder. I mean, I'm in a coastal community, which is obviously quite uh, different in in some ways, um, but our community is quite static. And I always think rural, rural life is sometimes a, a bit like that. In that, when I was in South London, a third of our congregation would be changing every two or three yeah, years, yeah. whereas we don't have that. And I'm guessing in the sort of situations you're talking about, yeah. it doesn't happen. So so if one upsets, um, you know, Maureen, who lives at number 72, yeah. um, as, as the church or whatever, yeah, yeah. you can't rely on somebody new being in that house in two years time. Yeah the whole importance of relationships and also yeah. working through difficulties. Yeah. You can't yeah. just ignore them. They don't just go away. Yeah. Uh, I think there's some really good things about that, but also it's quite challenging, I think. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. And certainly in both churches where I've been minister, we've we've remodeled the church buildings and so taken out pews and that kind okay. of thing. Um, in my first church, part of the part of the thing was not just taking out the pews, but also making it so that you could access the loos without having to go outside. That was a real achievement um, to be able to go to the loo without going out in the rain. It was lovely. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so it's things like that. But yeah, you know, when you're when you're doing things like that, you then discover not just the people who are part of your church family, but people who are part of the community have a very strong opinion. On what you're wanting to do you know my grandmother used to sit on that pew well yeah but your grandmother died sort of 50 years ago well yeah but you know she still used to sit on it so how dare you remove it um those kinds of things and they run deep they run deep in in mm. village communities definitely um they they run deep in 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 those kinds of places so so yeah that's but that's been an interesting experience both times that kind of thing yeah, and, and you're right. And it's relationships with other churches too. Um, again, uh, when when I was in Badninch, there were three churches. That, so there was ourselves, the parish church and the gospel hall. And then in Stoke where I was, there was just ourselves and, and the parish church. And so it's really, you really have to work at getting on well with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, which is great um and i think we managed it reasonably well in both in both cases plus the frustration of the fact that there are other people who are christians in your community who then drive out of the community to go to the big churches in the cities or the towns around you um yeah that's a real challenge <laughs> yeah definitely and um, and your church when you were at stoke um there was a lot of flooding is that right in the community and what was it like ministering to a community where large parts of it were underwater yes yeah it was it was interesting time it was i was talking to somebody about this the other day i can't remember why i was talking to them about it but just um 
the depth of water and the length of time that some people uh, were out of their homes. Actually, mm. in my community itself, we were not too badly affected, although there are about six roads out of Stokes and Gregory and during the worst of the flooding, there was only one. Um, every, everything had to go in and out that way. It was just because the other roads were completely impassable. Um, so it, it was it was interesting times, but it was one of the the community spirit that came out of that was awesome. Um, you know, people got involved in um, sort of filling sandbags, delivering meals, opening um, holiday cottages to people who were forced to leave their homes because of flooding. Um, all those kinds of things. Just and and the the support for one another was just amazing um both both from the churches but also from the communities in general just and it was lovely you know i was contacted um at that time by several people from sort of around the country who were saying you know is there anything we can do apart from praying for you is there anything we can do in terms of financial support we have some financial gifts that we then directed to to funds that were being set up so it was yeah it was a strange time a really strange time um yeah people were out of their homes for about a year year and a half some of them which was just yeah, a long time um you know to have your you know you know how it is when your washing machine floods but yeah have your house flooded by water that is got sewage and all kinds of other nasty things in it just unbear thinking about um yeah and the scars the scars are still there for people actually there were some people who who just didn't want to go back to their homes they just couldn't face the thought of going back to a home that had been in that state so you know yeah yeah so a long legacy from yes those sorts yeah. of things yeah 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 um, now barbara one of the um, other things that i know you you do and have done is that you are a, a trained qualified accredited whatever the appropriate language is a godly play practitioner yep. Yep. and um we're big fans of godly play here in, in our church. Um, one of my colleagues is a has followed in your footsteps <laughs> and has recently qualified herself. Um, what was it about godly play that drew drew you to it? What, and are there elements of it that sort of I don't know that that help shape ministry in a wider sense as well, not just working with yeah. with with children? T just tell us a bit about godly play. Yeah, I mean, I got I I kind of got drawn to it in some ways um when I did my my first theology degree um which I quite like saying um, <laughs> <laughs> um I did it through Westminster College Oxford and at that time they were the home of the um the Alistair Hardy Religious Experience Centre or something like that it was called and so we did we did a whole sort of part of a unit on religious experience and people's um you know people's experience of of the other and one of the guys who was heading it up at the time was a guy called David Hay, then went to a retreat association conference and heard him speak. And at that time, he'd just written a book with somebody called Rebecca Nye, who is um, one of the sort of the godly play gurus in this country. And she probably wouldn't like being described as that, actually. So she, probably <laughs> she probably doesn't listen to this, so it's fine. Um, but yeah, he'd just written a book, they like, written a book called The Spirit of the Child. And the, the thing that has lived with me ever since is him talking about, he said, you know, that this belief that we are all born spiritual, but we educate the, the sort of the God and the spiritual dimension to a certain extent out of our children. And that 
kind of lived with me and and all my children's work ever since I've kind of thought about how children see God so when I had my sabbatical um I thought I want to do some investigation in this so I sent Rebecca and I um an email and just said you know this is what I'm thinking I want to look at the spirituality of children I've got your book read your book you know what else do you suggest and so she pointed me at a few helpful sort of things and she said but also um you might want to look at godly play and we're running some courses and if you wanted to sign up for one as part of your um part of your sabbatical then that would be great so I did I went on this course and it was amazing um just fabulous this whole concept of people gathering uh, telling a story um and and the thing that sort of again spoke to me was this wondering time that you do after you've told the story um so in a way godly play is not about giving people the answers it's about telling the story in such a way that they can ask questions of the story and and seek to find the answers for themselves obviously with God but you know that's because it's set in you know it's in that setting but just that you sort of you know I wonder those those wondering questions about I wonder if we had everything we needed in that story I wonder which part of the story spoke to you I wonder if we could take away part of the story and still have all we needed those kinds of questions that aren't seeking to give people all the answers, but are allowing them to explore God for themselves. And there's also that that element of um, sort of the, the reflection time of of the creative time at the end of that, where where children will be encouraged to go away and draw or to read some more or or whatever it is. And and this whole thought about the tools that you use for that time need to be quality. Because often I think my experience of church has been that that we think, oh, those rundown pencils and those odd bits of scraps of paper will be good enough for the children to use. What does that say to them about what we think of them? And what does it say to them about what we think about God if you're just using the scraps? I mean, I understand all about being um, sustainable and environmentally responsible and all that kind of thing. So, so not wanting to get rid of all the old things, but just, you know, if you just give children... Um, the dog ends of everything then that's what they're going to think they're worth so so that that element of quality mm. and so that I think has lived with me and everything that I've done since in a way is about in sermons and often in worship not trying to give all the answers um, but to allow people I ask the wondering question quite often you know I wonder what this is saying to us about God what sort of God this is we're talking about I wonder mm. what Jesus would have done here um, those kinds of questions but also that thing about it needs to be quality we need to give people the best quality we can um, because we have a quality God and and yeah and what we what we offer to people says that I love that we have a we have a quality God I I love that that's going to be my my takeaway quote I think from podcast. <laughs> um, now Bobby you are uh, um part of a pretty well it can't be pretty unique it's either unique or it isn't i guess but um <laughs> a unique duo in current baptist life i think is that right um i think that's right i'm not yeah. aware that, that that we're that we're not yeah my um i think we i think i'm part of a unique duo in that my daughter is also a baptist minister okay. um, i'm conscious of mothers and sons and i'm conscious of fathers and daughters but a couple of years ago now, when um, 
Baptists Together were trying to put together a one of the the magazines to to celebrate women in ministry they the, the question was asked are they mothers and daughters and we appeared to be the only ones who came out of the woodwork so yeah okay. I think I am part of a unique but I'm happy to be told no there are others and I will celebrate that because I think that would be a good thing yeah wonderful thing and I mean you know do you do you manage to talk about other things when you all get together for family <laughs> occasions or does everyone else sort of you know disappear off to the kitchen yeah, their, eyes, their eyes roll and yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah no my, my daughter my daughter Abby and um and I we do talk about other things in fact we we definitely try to talk about other things because otherwise life would be very boring but but it's been great I mean we've been able to um now that I'm not the minister of a church we've been able to go for occasional sort of weekends and, mm. and visit her in her church which is lovely um and see her in action and she's phenomenal um even if I do say so myself but she is none of it's done to me she's um yeah she's good and she's she's really loving uh mm. ministry so that's good news yeah that's great and is there I mean I always wonder that my children might be thoroughly put off uh going anywhere near anything like that having seen it from the inside and there, yeah. there's something rather wonderful about having seen you do what you do and yeah. and um I think that's so encouraging yes yes I think I mean I think to be fair she did try to do anything but um yes. yeah she did try to do anything but she I mean she she did some children and families work for a while which she was really good at and really mm. enjoyed um and she she tried to sort of not succumb to or to but god is you know god is once he's got hold of us he doesn't tend to let us go and if he's got a particular idea in mind for us then then we have to eventually yield and she did mm. bless her but she did she did try and run away from it for a while <laughs> but no and, and i've always said that i knew that she would be a minister before i knew that i would because that's interesting there was just something about her as a as a small child that just i thought no she's yeah she's going to do this that some people have that don't they I, yeah. I remember one of my Sunday school teachers saying to me many years before the thought even entered my head yeah. and she would say to me now I knew when I had you in that group yeah or whatever and sometimes you do that and um some people have a gift of just being able to see that in people yeah. I think that's yeah. just delightful to to hear no. yeah it's good yeah um we're coming towards our final two questions and and I, I guess as well as chaplaincy work and the ecumenical stuff and local church ministry and your involvement in sort of wider Baptist movementy things gives you a really interesting perspective in, in terms of answering these two questions as well because you've been a union trustee and all sorts of, I mean how was that as an experience? Well, it was how I met you, so that was good. That's true. That's true. I'm sorry <laughs> about that. Yeah. It, no, no, no. It can have only been a good thing, can't it? Um, yeah, it was. It was an interesting experience, and one that I was privileged and glad to have. Um, in that, particularly coming, you know, being the minister of a small church, one of the mm. things in both churches that I tried to encourage people to do was to see that there is a bigger world. A bigger Baptist world as well out there and so we would go to assemblies and things like that so so for me that was really helpful in in being involved in and seeing and being able for the church to share it to a certain extent as well in in my being a trustee of the union 
Um, I happened to become a trustee about the time that we spent a lot of time talking about pensions. <laughs> well, God bless so, you. Uh, yeah, so I, I sat through an awful lot of discussions on pensions. Um, and I confess that I understood some of it. I didn't understand all of it. Fortunately, they're part of being a trustee as well is that you're part of a group. And so there were some people who understood absolutely everything about it. And that was wonderful. Um, but I think one of the, you know, I used to reflect sometimes, what was the point of me being in that meeting? Because I'm just a minister of a church. But I think that was the point. I was just a minister of a church. And so my my take on it was, okay, how does this affect the local church? And, mm. and that's not to say that it wasn't, the emphasis for other people but that would quite often be my question was okay so how does this affect the local church and and I think that was quite helpful at times so um yeah. and it was great to be part of council and be part of the discussions uh, around all those things part of the discussions around same-sex marriage which were interesting and painful um we were there at the same time for some of that so yeah yeah but it was it was a real it was a privilege and I'm glad I did it. Um, yeah. 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 And I, on behalf of ministers in churches, we're glad to have someone like that in the room thinking about how this lands in the local yeah. church as well. Yeah. I think that's so important. And, and as I say, one of my great positives from being on council was meeting your good self. We had the same <laughs> first meeting, didn't we? And uh, a huge blessing. Um, yes. So, Barbara, in this moment, if you had one thing to declare to the union, what would it be? I think it would it, it would be about our covenant relationship with one another um, and about how we keep that strong, particularly in terms of caring for ministers that I guess on the back of what I've just said, that wouldn't be a surprise to anybody to hear. Um, I'm yeah I think I think I'm conscious of a number of ministers who over the years actually but particularly in this season who are finding life really difficult and I think that as a union we need to to be mindful of caring for them and how we care for them and how our structures are are set up in order to enable people to flourish which then in turn enables the church to flourish and God's kingdom to flourish that, you know, they, they follow on from one another. So I think that would be, if, if that makes sense, there's something to say, that would be the thing I'd want to say. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if you think Baptists have one thing to declare to the world in this moment, what would mm -hmm. it be? Well, obviously, apart from the fact that Jesus is Lord. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, that, I think it would be something about this independence and interdependence. I think that is one of our our great gifts um, is is this recognition that we need each other, but that doesn't mean we have to be exactly the same as each other. We can be our own people. We can be our own, you know, we can be our own churches in our own settings that is right for the setting in which we are but we still need to relate to one another. We need to support one another, to pray for one another, to, to work together because no one of us holds the whole truth. And so that would be, and I think that applies to churches, to, to nations as well, to communities. I think it's a, you know, we can, we can be our own people. We can be, we can be different. We need to be different. We need to celebrate the difference, but we also need to be together. 
Well, Barbara, thank you so much for being part of the podcast today. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much, David. It's been a pleasure and uh, yeah, a privilege as well. Thank you so much for asking me and for letting me witter on with you. <laughs> ah, joy. I look forward to speaking to you soon. Yeah, take care. Bye. Bye. So, Beth, that was my uh, chat with Barbara. Uh, what did you make of that? What things uh, spring out for you? I just I want to go and continue the conversation I want to ask her so many questions especially um I think about um the mental health chaplaincy like I'm so interested in that and how mental health maybe fits with spirituality um I I was really um taken by the way that she talked about her work as mental health chaplain and then quite quickly moved on to talking about godly play spirituality and the connections that I think must be in that for who she is um because um you know it's it's the kind of the whole way of of asking questions and inviting people to reflect without giving them necessarily the kind of those prescribed answers um and i i think you know when she asks i wonder how i wonder (laughs) i wonder (laughs) wondering questions in her chaplaincy as well like i wonder how how those things kind of flow together or don't and just that idea that we all have a spirituality um you know everybody has a spirituality and that um that at different points gets educated or knocked out of us by life um and we we stop learning to use it and i think um i think that's such an interesting thought in terms of how we are as human beings and develop psychologically and um you know emotionally and spiritually I think I just yeah how those things all weave together it's one of those things I've been thinking a lot about recently and I just would love to go you know I think can I phone her up and just have this conversation <laughs> what oh, do you I'm, think <laughs> I'm sure you can I'm, I'm sure that I'm, I'm volunteering Barbara to have that conversation with you I'm sure she'd be delighted uh, I mean I think there's so much in that and I think um godly play has so much to offer and one of the things that I, I heard in a conversation recently was uh, someone was saying that they reckon they could spot someone, a minister leading communion, who'd done some work with godly play just because the way that they work through the elements and tell the story is different. They take some of the, the values of that and the methodology of that and that it affects how they do everything. And I, I can really see that. And it's one of those things, once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. And it's a really excellent book that came out, I think, last year, maybe 2020 now called being interrupted by uh, ruth harley and al barrett yeah you've read it and it's great and they um use some of the so they ask the wondering questions they do this bit in the middle where they look through four bits of mark's gospel but done with a kind of godly play edge to it and it's really well done i have shamelessly used that material in all sorts of places but i think the godly play principles have a lot to offer all parts of church ministry I, I remember, um, so I never experienced godly play until theological college and um, somebody came in to do a session as they do. And mm-hmm. um, and I remember I was really excited for messy church and a bit like I didn't know what godly play was and that sounded a bit archaic and a bit weird. Uh, <laughs> and then um, I remember just being like, it was such a hugely powerful s- spiritual experience to be yes. sat as in that. And I remember thinking this is, just extraordinary and connects with me on in a way that I didn't know I needed to connect with God and um 
yeah, I, I've I've done a lot of reading of um, kind of Sam Wells, um, and I like you know those sermons, and he always asks wondering questions in his sermons. So he's taking that yeah. very like a whole homiletical approach out of godly play, and I think um, that's really formed me then in the way that I preach is to think about how and I'm not a godly play practitioner and I don't I don't use it in terms of you know um you know leading kind of worship for children or for adults um but I think it's something about kind of reading the ideas behind it and thinking actually I love that I love the wondering I love you know I wonder what this tells us about uh you know who we believe God is and I wonder if we take away part of this story if we have everything we need and you know I all those sorts of all those sorts of ideas in there I think extraordinary often yeah, so I often find like I have to go out and now edit out wondering questions out of my sermons because I just <laughs> become a cliche. <laughs> well, I mean, I think I hope it's okay to mention this on the podcast. Talking of your preaching, didn't someone say something rather wonderful to you quite recently? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think I'd probably be inclined to retire at that moment and just have that <laughs> as my my lasting moment. Um, yeah, I do now have a favourite student. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am. Um, so I, I told you because you're the only person that would really understand why I was so excited by this particular compliment. Um, but somebody said to me, uh, they, they'd heard my preaching and said, um, you know that uh, Barbara Brown Taylor Woodward that you told us to go and look up. Um, you preach quite like her, don't you? And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. I don't need any other praise ever again. I will live out on this until I, <laughs> until I'm very old and grey. Um, yeah, I mean the dream, isn't it, to preach like Barbara Brown Taylor? So um, really is. What an extraordinary thing to hear. So um, I mean, I, I guess we all want to preach like ourselves ultimately, but um, of course. But yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think she's the same. Actually, I think it's the same care that she takes. So I think godly play and um, and what I value in that and what I value in Barbara Brown Taylor is probably very similar. It's this really considered use of words and and she uses very action very symbolically as well. If you watch her preach, um, yes. so we often read her sermons because she's published some of them. But um, if you watch her preach, she's very careful with her use of hands. And I I haven't got that, but I think it's really beautiful to watch. And and so I think that's you know, and thinking about kind of communion service, um, I've been exposed to quite a lot of Anglicanism, particularly and Episcopalianism, and um, and she's obviously from that tradition. And they use obviously gesture so carefully at communion, or in gesture in prayer as well. Um, and and I think there's something, there is something in that those kind of invitational movements, and then how we use our whole bodies. And it's been something I've been trying to think about in terms of leading worship myself. But it it's yeah, just I think there's something really special in there. So that's what I really. I like about her is that real attention to detail yeah amen um I think one thing we both noted uh listening to to Barbara is um where she talks about the connection between small churches and the denomination between national life and the local church I mean what for you sort of comes out of that yeah I thought it was really interesting when she talked about like trying to get the small churches she'd been a part of to be kind of open to the idea that they were part of a wider Baptist movement and how important that was for them and feeling like they were on their own just plugging away being um you know a little church in village x but kind of actually no look we're part of this bigger broader spectrum of of churches and we're, we're not on our own and um we're part of this tapestry and that 
but then she'd also um quite quickly and I I don't know if she knew she'd done it but it was really interesting when she then reflected on being the local minister in um these you know kind of denominational meetings and um and what it was to you know and she's like I was just a local minister but that was what was important and I think that's it for us isn't it as Baptists and that's what she said when she talked about the interdependence is um you know the the local really needs this bigger connection of other churches who are also muddling through have stories to tell who have wisdom to share who have encouragement to bring and then you have um that, but but we absolutely lose something immediately if we ever don't have the grounding of the local. Um, and I think, um, yeah, I think I think that's the I think that's the thing I always think is most special about being Baptist is that we we really remember that. Well, when we do it right, we really remember that that, that grounding in the local is really the difference. Um, and um, yeah, so I'm I'm very glad that we had Barbara on those. I have to say because I think. She sounds like the voice that you would want in those meetings, doesn't she? Um, and to kind of represent lots of other Baptist ministers in that way is kind of what their local might look like too. Mm. I always felt better knowing that Barbara was in the room. It it just, it, it gave me a, a piece about things that I might not have had otherwise, you know, it just, yeah, bringing that perspective very much so. Well, I think it's, well, we always say the tone of people. I always the tone people. of, yes. But it's, it's the way she's so calm, isn't she? Um, her whole style is so calm. And, um, and and listening to that, it was the calmness and the kindness um, that came out of it. I think, you know, in, in lots of those meetings that can feel at times quite maybe, well, either dull <laughs> or stressful or, you know, um, perhaps even emotionally quite tense, depending on like how passionate people are about what they're discussing. I can imagine that her calmness and that kind of gentle kindness would really, really matter as well as the wisdom. Um, that's the whole kind of tone that she would bring to that. And I expect that's what she brings in. I can really believe that's what she brings in her chaplaincy, that that kind of really kind of calm safe kind of vibe <laughs> that I think is is as much the ministry as what she would be saying I think isn't it that the, the kind of whole um we talk about non-anxious presence don't we in ministry quite a lot and then um, um as somebody who tends towards the highly anxious I um I find that a really challenging thing but um Katrina Gorton always says um should be a less anxious presence and I like that that I can aim for that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um she's very non-anxious isn't she she's mm. yeah yeah very much so wonderful well we're grateful to Barbara for being uh our episode one of uh season two we've got some great guests coming up the rest of this season um as well um but we're going to finish with our blessing for the season and uh, I think you're going to lead us in that uh, today. So the blessing for this season, just to remind everybody, is coming from uh, gathering up the crumbs, celebrating a century of accredited, ordained Baptist women in ministry in the UK. So great to uh, use this excellent resource. And, and perhaps uh, right. particularly appropriate, considering both Barbara and her daughter are Baptist ministers. So having been, right. we didn't pick up on that, did we? But no, perhaps a nice little nod to that as we <laughs> as we go out. <laughs> Okay, so let's uh, go out with this blessing. May you see opportunities to bring hope, healing and peace where others do not. May you have the courage to speak up for those that get overlooked. 
May you be aware of God's spirit at work in the words you speak, the safe spaces you create, and the relationships you build. You are loved by God. May those that you encounter know that they are loved too. Amen. Thanks to Barbara, Beth, thanks to you, thanks to everyone listening, and uh, I'll see you next week. Yeah, take care, everyone. See you soon. Bye.